Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. Uh-huh. And the technology. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Stuck in the 80s, it's your host Steve Spears And Brad in LA And today we have a rare conversation with one of our decade's friendliest musicians It's our interview with former Haircut 100 frontman Nick Hayward Where does it go from Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. Don't forget to listen to our podcast at the CLNS Media website. You can find it at clnsmedia.com. And as always, we plead, we beg. It's the holidays. If you love our show, give us the special gift of sharing the links on social media. And don't forget to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. I said that everything was my way. So, Brad, uh, a few months ago, I had a rare opportunity to have an extended conversation with Nick Hayward. And I remember calling you afterwards. It, I think Nick and I talked on the phone one afternoon for about 90 minutes. Yeah, I, I thought I it was more like six hours. You, like, <laughs> communed with each other on the telephone. and The guy, it was the fun. guy had an impact on you because he, he moved you slightly into the light. For, like, two weeks, you were just a little bit more in the light than you usually are. And you slunk <laughs> back over into darkness. It's funny because I had known I was going to interview him for a while. And I was always a huge fan of Haircut 100. Uh, Pelican West was an album that you were practically um, issued, you know, as part of your freshman orientation package at college. <laughs> But I had followed him afterwards, and I was a big fan of his solo work. And he, in 2017, he came out with an album called Woodland Echoes. Yep. And on that album, which is just this really life-affirming album about mornings and bluebirds and tea uh, yeah. and the stars, it is one of these albums that I listen to probably once a week. And there's one song that I listen to constantly, and it's this one called The Stars. You're the secrets of the universe. You're the secrets of the stars. You're the reason for the two of us. Firing arrows through our hearts. Oh, the secrets of the universe are here inside the stars. 
So if you see the video for this Song of the Stars, it's filmed in Tampa Bay, Florida. Is this the one with the puppets? Yes. Yeah. It's the one with the puppets. Nick Hayward these days lives in Tampa Bay, Florida. His wife's parents are there, as are many people's retired parents. (laughs) And so they came to visit for an extended stay, and they just kind of stayed. And so they've been there for a couple years now. And he's been writing music based on his Florida experiences and letting Florida influence his take on life. And Nice. During our interview, and I'll let you know right now, Nick and I talked for a very long time, but it was so much fun. It was, it was like catching up with an old college friend and just trying to find out how they were doing. So for the most part, I'm going to give you the full interview. And so it's going to be quite long, but Nick is such a great storyteller, and he's going to cover everything from how Haircut 100 got started to his earliest influences to what his parents thought about his career to how birds singing outside his window influence his songwriting these days, to what he thinks about nostalgia tours. That's pretty granola, even for us. But I I really enjoyed it. I really got into it. And I know I called you afterwards and I said, wow, I had this amazing conversation. Yeah, it was a spiritual experience, I think. It was. So I don't want to belabor it because, you know, it's an extended conversation, but I want you to enjoy it. And when it's all over, we're going to have the regular full seggies with uh, Listener Mailbag and Mr. Movie Moment in the 80s. Tune. And we're going to have an idea I have for a new seggy that's a little bit on the outside looking in. And uh, we're going to let you, the listeners, decide whether or not we should give birth to it. It's, it's <laughs> I don't know. It's, it might be just influenced by the fact that I'm super happy because this is the Nick Hayward interview. Is there a doula in but- the house? <laughs> Ah, uh, Deja, where are you when we need you? In the meantime... Seggy doula. <laughs> in the meantime, sit back, get a cup of English tea, and enjoy our conversation with Nick Hayward. Hello, Steve. Hey, Nick. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I, I'm great. Uh, I just heard Sarah tell you that when we're done, just need to hang on the phone for a minute or two while the audio downloads. So you, yeah, will do. Every time I try to figure out a good way to record a podcast, the, the technology changes the next day. So but yeah. this seems to be the the most reliable service now. Yeah, things are moving fast, aren't they? Technical world. Yeah, <laughs> too fast. Too fast. <laughs> yeah, slow uh, down. I just I still like vinyl. Do you, you still have a, a, a regular turntable? Do you still yeah. prefer to listen to your music on vinyl? Yeah, we got turntable, and uh, but we haven't got any speakers at the moment, so uh, we're listening to music still the new-fashioned way. But uh, we'd like to get back into the old world. I remember, to me, the most magical part about vinyl when I was growing up was um, when you opened it up and you could see the liner notes or... If you were incredibly lucky enough to have a double album, so you had the you would open it up and just spread open the the album cover and look at all the photos and read all the liner notes while you were listening to the music for the first time, and that was just like the best day of the week for you. Exactly. You know, you also needed to handle with care. It's not like an MP3 because it's just it's just like punching air. You know, it's it's not there. It's not here. It's not there. It's not anywhere. It's just empty air. And uh, the, like the other day, I had, I thought I had magazine, um, the correct use of soap. I thought I had it because I downloaded <laughs> it and I went into my, I went to my phone and then 
to listen to it and it just wasn't there and so they just apple had just taken it back like i didn't actually buy it really so <laughs> i'd bought it but it was just <laughs> they'd just taken it off my out of my phone so you know you just go well it's not it's not that tangible thing is it it's not you haven't you don't actually have it it's not yours it's not like a picture you've bought and you hang it on your wall these are just mp3s are just meaningless pieces of air you know and they don't even sound that great either and and you can't take them to a concert and have someone sign it for you no 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 so it's not even a, it's not even like a t-shirt i i understand you're in florida now yeah we are yeah don't know how we got here well i do actually but uh, you know it's yeah. a strange old world isn't it sometimes in the universe and how you you end up i've just talked i've just been texting my brother and we're talking about music and he suddenly said you know i've oh, i'm a big fan of chick korea and certain albums and things and i never knew that because i've been sending him album sleeves because there's loads of vinyl around here and i've been saying i'm sure i'm sure you had this i'm sure you had this one i'm sure you had this nazareth album uh and he, i found out that he was a big chick korea fan and uh, chick korea as lives locally he's he's actually sometimes in the music shop local music shop apparently so they kind of protect him like the local god um and apparently he's got a studio kind of thing so i said oh pete if i bump into him i'll get get his autograph um so you know it's things like that just wow i never even knew my brother was into chick korea or that one. and suddenly I, I never thought i'd be living around the corner from chick korea so, so living in Florida now, have you have you taken up to to doing all the traditional Florida things like, uh, you know, the, the Disney trips and the walks driving on like the beach? A yeah, <laughs> driving like a maniac. <laughs> um, no, I haven't been to Disney. Um, I mean, actually, the main reason we're here is Sarah's mum and dad. They they're from Minnesota, and they came down, they retired down here, and we were coming over from England and. And seeing them and it was really nice for sarah to spend some time with her mum and dad because she's been over in england so long so we're just sort of around and we just really got to like the area and so sarah's spending more time with her seeing her parents which is really nice um so temporary turns suddenly permanent for a while but i say for a while because i still feel like i'm a kind of well i'm a guest in this country I, i'm not i'm not american so you know i'm here in, in a kind of visa and uh, that has to be renewed. So it, I feel like I'm just here for the here for now. But now <laughs> is turning. Now is is quite a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Already well, been well, here like two years. It's like oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> yeah, Tampa Bay always has been a big attraction for for British uh, visitors for for decades now, and so it's well, you, you can't believe the weather. You just cannot believe it. As an English person, you just think this is this is heaven. Actually, weather wise. I mean, even though it does get, you know, you get typhoons and hurricanes and things, but they're to even to somebody from England, they're a bit like, wow, it, really exciting weather. You've just seen this weather on the TV, and now you get to experience it. I mean, I'm already singing about manatees. <laughs> They've crept in there, you know. Uh, so that wouldn't have been there had I been in Henley. I'm sure I wouldn't have started started to mention so many dragonflies and manatees in lyrics <laughs> yeah. because they're you, everywhere you, you might be the first musician outside of jimmy buffett to to actually write about manatees oh okay <laughs> ah well you know it, it rhymed <laughs> <laughs> so so obviously you know i grew up in tampa bay but you grew up around london correct 
Mm, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And what what did your parents do? Um, oh, well, they did many things, actually. First off, the first I knew of my father, he was Santa. I, I was actually, my dad was Santa Claus. He had a toy factory, and that's what I knew. So I used to go and help him. Uh, both my brother and I used to go and help him in the school holidays and deliver some of the, his toys he made. Um, he used to go and deliver them around the playgrounds of South London, mostly. So I was like Santa's helper. I was helping dad deliver toys. Um, so, and then he had a factory in Brixton and so I used to mend them and then sell them, sell them and mainly to the schools. So I used to do that for the GLC, the Greater London Council. Um, because before then he was a printer and he was big kind of like union man, big, very much a socialist and labor man. My father, he, he would, he's not with us now, but he would, he would adore Jeremy Corbyn. He would think he was the best thing. He would, he didn't like Tony Blair and he would love Jeremy Corbyn. So, um, he, he, he did that. And mum was a doctor's secretary and also his secretary when they had the toy business, which then turned into a, um, furniture spraying business where they just, it was the seventies. So that white furniture was in. So they had a company called, you name it, we spray it. So they were spraying everything white, <laughs> which is why I think I've got this thing with white. I've got, I'm looking, sitting in my studio right now, and I've got white speakers and a white table and a white microphone stand and a white chair. So it's almost like I've got my mum and dad still here there, it, you know, I, saying, get some white stuff, son. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm starting to form a, a pretty strong uh, opinion now how you got to have such a positive attitude in life. You, you your dad was Santa Claus practically. And yeah, you know, ev everything was white. Everything was bright and cheery. I mean, it, it was, but he was more like that other, that center that, that liked a few pints of beer, you know, <laughs> cause he was, he was more like jazz Santa because he loved his jazz music. So, and he loved food and he loved indulgence. He was a Torian. So he just loved everything, everything to excess really. He couldn't. He didn't have any breaks. He couldn't say stop. And sometimes he didn't have any breaks at all. And he would literally, because he was a cab driver, taxi driver, towards the end of his life. And so, uh, one day he phoned phoned up in a bit of a panic and said, uh, "Oh, could you come and pick me up?" And I was like, "Oh God!" And I, I got there, and he'd fallen asleep at the wheel, and driven up the back of another car and turned the car over. And he had two German tourists in the back of the car who'd freaked. <laughs> but they were, they were so late for their plane that they just said, okay, and just got out anyway because they weren't hurt. And they just got another cab. Um, but Dad was being breathalyzed. And I was like, oh, no. And he must have, for the previous night, he must have drunk enough to for any normal guy to pass out. But and he passed the breathalyzer test. You know, it was weird. I just, he always called himself a failed alcoholic. Um, but uh, it was, it, I, it's funny, but I don't drink. So it hasn't passed on that, that way, which is strange. How do they feel about you pursuing career in music? I know you started in art and photography, but, but switched to, to music. Did they, did they have any thoughts about that? They were, they were actually really encouraging, which was the, the main thing I've got strength from my parents they were very encouraging to both my my brother and i um so 
that was that was a good thing. They they would they would just encourage whatever you do. I mean, I switched from art, and they never said, "Oh, that's your proper job. Don't do that." They they were really they really helpful. In fact, more than encouraging, they they helped me put a um, a single together on my own label, and I had like a thousand. I pressed up a thousand records, and I got one John Peel play. And I didn't know whether how I was going to sell all these thousand records, the the other you know the nine hundred and ninety nine that I had in my loft, how I was going to do that. But I ended up giving them away to my friends. And did, did you save any of the of those pressings? Do you still have a couple? Uh, I, I think I do. Um, I know Gary Crowley, the, the world-famous DJ, well, London-famous and uh, UK-famous uh, DJ, and lovely man too. Uh, he is, he's got one. I know that for sure. Uh, it was on, I put it on English records. Because that was an, uh, a weird sort of map of the UK, and then put English records in it somehow. I think it was like early haircut right. kind of image because I just wanted things to be very English, but I didn't know how to how to sort of put that, so I just called it English. <laughs> you know, I didn't <laughs> I didn't know how to quite point towards it or show that. That I was very just blunt about things so- then. But I think Haircut 100 image was pretty blunt anyway. It was just joppers, you know, which is probably the most English thing you can wear. Right. I mean, it's, it's such a British thing. I mean, it, it escapes. I don't think there's an American term for it. There, there probably is. A, what was it? Nancy boys. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I remember wearing joppers with uh, the guys and we went to when we were over here first and we were in New York kind of thing and uh, we got called Nancy Boys hey hey Nancy Boys fantasy lands that way <laughs> you know quite a few times uh, so we quickly I mean quite a few of us just went back and changed out of our fisherman socks and joppers and uh, or you know we used to wear uh, braces uh, as well and th- here they were called they're called suspenders right? which is actually Completely different over suspenders is like sex clothes in the UK, you know, that hold up your fishnet tights and stockings. Oh, wow. You know, so we didn't know what that was at first. Like, why Why people think we got we got suspenders it, on? It was a, the 70s was kind of a weird time. I mean, you have, you have the glam movement that's out there, and that's the gender bender uh, in, in music. You have punk rock. You have other types of rock that are going on. I mean, of, of, of all the, mm. of all the things that were happening that decade, was there some, it must've been a hell of a time to, to, to be a music fan. Yeah. It was changing all the time. I mean, these cultural waves were coming over thick and fast, you know, sometimes monthly they were there, you know, it was changing. I mean, punk was the biggest wave. That was just a wave. That was like a, that was more like a tsunami really. And these were aftershocks that were coming you know, like, like new wave was just everybody coming together and then you got the scar thing and then the mod revival and you know there was cultural waves coming all the time it was just wow you know and you were just growing up and you were thinking wow i'm going to be in music and i'm going to i'm going to be a mod you know and so you were a mod for a bit and then you were thinking everyone's a mod so they weren't just little cultural waves that some people did pretty much everybody did because they were youth cultures they were they were there, there, but they were 
people were some people were just staying so there was new new waves and other waves and some waves were fighting each other <laughs> you know <laughs> which is which caused storms um some boats got sunk so anyway back out of metaphor uh into the real world there was really good music created by all this stuff happening in uh in music so and to be in it and having it real time happen was uh, i was so thankful so grateful for for seeing it you know i've seen i was right there i you know when punk happened and so i, I saw it unfolding it was brilliant so powerful I have this theory that every British musician I've ever interviewed claims to have seen the Sex Pistols in concert. Um, actually, truthfully, no, I never <laughs> saw the Sex Pistols in concert. No, I saw the oh. Clash. I saw the Jam. So really early wow. Jam. Um, saw the Slits. Uh, saw Susan the Banshees. Saw really early Susan the Banshees actually when they were. I think I saw Bromley Contingent, which was in Bromley Chislehurst Caves because I didn't know what was going on. It was just some guys standing there's a strobe light and there's some people looking moody and there uh, was really odd hair. And I was sort of standing there in with a, with a slight flare in my trouser, in my denim trouser, thinking, oh, well, I think this is that stuff that's going on, that new thing. Because at that particular time, I was into, I was into art school bands like Death School um, and Burlesque and things so hit this one i felt like i got a glimpse of the new um but then i moved up then it started to really happen and it happened in the suburbs and so i was in beckenham and bromley near where the whole punk thing was taking off i mean i think billy idol was from bromley and and other things and only gen x generation sure. x and things so i just you know i was it it coincided with me working you know, leaving school and then going up to london to be a commercial artist, which is, I either went to art school, but I didn't have enough qualifications and I would have had to have sat them. And I, I remember getting a job actually in an art studio called a house of wizard. So I remember thinking, wow, I'll go up to London and I can go to see, I can go to the vortex and things and stuff and hang out and wow, it's all kicking off. So I, I did that. I went up to London instead and got a job and saw all the punk bands. And you know, went to went to the records, went to Sniffing Glue, the record store, and you know, bought the Cortinas and Chelsea singles, and did all that stuff. So it was, yeah, it was what a powerful time. So, and that's why I wanted to make my own song. I wanted to, but I didn't have any experience at it. So, yeah, that that was my next question. Yeah. I was, I mean, that must have been quite an influence. I mean, that must have have just been a shot of creative energy. So. Is that really kind of what turned you around and said, I, this is what I want to do? Yeah, because uh, it was way too far away for then. You know, you, you didn't look at, you didn't get your Steely Dan album and think, I can do this. You know, I, I mean, I had my Steely Dan album and I never, ever thought that this was what I could be doing at all. But, you know, they were they were influences. All that stuff, all music was up until that point. But then when this punk wave came over. Um, it opened up, it just opened up so many doors for for everyone in, in every, it, it did, it did to art just 
messed it completely up and and turned it around and that that chaos was was the fuel for it it was so exciting i mean i remember just looking at pictures of the uh, the clash standing on standing on waste ground in camden for hours just thinking where is this magical place you know this was waste ground you know and then going to camden and and looking and thinking is this derelict bomb shelter is that where they stood and wow look at that you know getting really inspired by derelict ground <laughs> <laughs> you know that was <laughs> that that had never been in the enemy before you know that that kind of stuff and then listening to say like the clash album and, and thinking white t-shirts and you know grease in the hair and combs and what's that chain and what's that and there was, it was all new completely new and and then when i saw xtc you know just at, i think it was like the croydon greyhound and, and stuff and this was a band that looked like they'd just been they'd been just it was like raw electricity and they were singing about science fiction and so they were singing about space stuff and the sing the singer looked to me like uh raw electricity and he'd they stopped altogether and i didn't know you know as a musician as an early budding musician i thought how do they do that you know how do they stop altogether and it's like just air and space and there's space going on and then they start they come in exactly the same time all together again what was that moment that bit of space about how did they do that how did they create that space and i was i was totally encapsulated in that space and this band had done it and when they stopped all together they just stopped moving and then there was that moment in bad and they started all playing together and the, the keyboard player had a mad organ that sounded like a toy uh the twisted somebody's taken some toy and and made it into an instrument and i just it just blew me away i mean there was just bands that did that and then you know seeing talking heads and and just thinking wow you know damn that television what a bad picture don't get upset it's not a major disaster you know you just never heard lyrics like that at all so it was so creative and then you had richard hill and the voidoids blank generation and you'd never heard anything like this and everything just looked so new and profound and and then even devo taking i can't get no satisfaction and you know dressing up the yeah. way they did and having those glasses and looking so eerie you just thought wow you know records and things and sounds that changed your life bands like 999 and the vibrators and, and things and just bands you discovered that never never actually you know made it either you, you didn't care that they made it or didn't make it it was just really new and and then there was aggressive bands as well you couldn't understand that there was bands that sounded like raw aggression and and because uh, there was a load of aggression that was going on and change in politics and in the culture anyway at the time like you know there was the three-day week and 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 stuff and just uh power cuts uh so much change going on it was in rock against racism as well that was changing there was riots and songs about riots um astonishing amazing time and to be right in there with it and watching all your friends you know you'd you'd, you'd have friends and one day they would be wearing a denim waistcoat and you know 
the next week they turn up with orange hair and safety pins through their nose. You know, and you'd go, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> and they change their name to Rat, you know. <laughs> you go, wow, okay. Oh, I'm a rat now. It, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's surreal listening to you talk about music. You You talk about songs and albums and bands almost more like almost more like a piece of art than than a piece of music i i have to wonder when when you were when you formed haircut 100 did you feel not maybe pressure is not the right word but was one of your goals to create your your own unique art form in the form of music well by then uh clubs were definitely a strong influence on music you know, that's why we came in on a kind of Brit funk wave that was coming in in London at the particular time, just like the uh, the folk wave that came a few decades later with people dressing like blacksmiths, you know, and, uh, you know, that, that, that came. But, uh, you know, this was just a London wave and there was Funkapolitan and there was us and there was Blue Rondo a la Turk and there was Pig Bag who had been there a bit earlier, but it was just, you know, funk was just coming around. The, the clubs were really important and, and new sounds, new style of a magazine had just come out. And so it was going very, it was, you know, punk had been and other things had been and new wave had been and everything was, you know, I dare I say it. And I was a big echo and the Bunnyman fan, but suddenly echo and the Bunnyman fan were looking dated. Uh, echo and the Bunnyman were looking dated which was astonishing at the time. You couldn't believe that that was, but things were moving so fast that that was happening. And, and then suddenly to, to be in clubs uh, like club for heroes or just hanging out of them, which is what I was doing at that time because, okay, I'd hung around in, in blitz, not blitz, um, the Roxy, you know, I'd gone from there and these were the places you're going to. And now music was, you were dancing to it more. So um, but I still, you know, still had a band and was doing things, but still thinking, you know, your songwriting is developing, but you're not even thinking that your songwriting was developing, you know, but it, it just, it just was, I suppose. Uh, I mean, I thought that my garage band would take off in the new wave times, but obviously it was too naive and young at that time. And then when, when it came out with, when everybody was doing Scar, I, cause you know, I'm the same age as Suggs and guys in Madness, but they were very young at the time. But I, I thought, oh, I'm going to have a ska band, and that's going to do it. So in 1981, 1980 to 81, there was just this club thing going on, and early electronic music as well, like Soft Cell and, you know, even um, Human League had turned in and turned, and they weren't industrial yeah. anymore, and they were going more club. You know, Depeche Mode came out. You know, they were... They were like, you know, East London dancing. You know, they looked they they looked like they'd been to Kensington Market, and you know, we were going to Kensington Market, and there's a thing. So it was just very, it's a sort of specific time, but suddenly it all happened all at once. Uh, I, um, I, it was like one week we changed our name to Haircut One Hundred from whatever it was that particular week because it, you didn't have to get 
web addresses and hold right. them in those Good days. Point. You know, you just change your name and then you you just changed it. And you could just change and grow and be something different. Like my mate, you know, who would just change into a punk, you know, just do it overnight. You could just chop and change. And so there it was. It was like we were playing at the embassy club in a month later and having people come to see us and saying we were the next big thing. But it's just because I'd bought an orange guitar and wore dressed I think I dressed in full polo gear just because I thought, yeah, why not? Or you know, I hadn't seen that before. And and in in those times it was how it wasn't how you conformed at all. It was how how different if you had something new to offer. So you were just experimenting with stuff and I was thinking, well there's nobody dressing in fisherman's gear around, you know. What if I go and get at some a Southwester, you know, and then it seems months that suddenly you're in a Southwester on the front of the New Musical Express. But that's because I remember walking into the New Musical Express to tell them about my band, which was just I don't don't know. It was uh, what you did, I suppose. You either got chucked out or you got to talk to somebody, and I got to talk to Adrian Thrills, who was one of the lead writers on the on the on the newspaper. And at that particular point, he could have just said, "Oh, you know, go away." But he sat down, and and then two weeks later, he came round and interviewed us in our flat above a flower shop in Ken, Ken Kensington, which was then not the posh place it is now. Kensington at that particular time was was where everybody who needed to come to London who didn't have any money and just needed to all live together was in a flat there. Everybody everybody was around that particular area. It was like flat land. I mean, you were with Haircut 100 for just about a year, right? Yeah, we weren't together long. It, it was because we weren't uh, run like a tight ship. It was It was so quick. I mean, you know, it was so intense what was happening. We hadn't done any preparation for this stuff. It was just like, bundling into the music business and then it, you know exploding and imploding and all the things going on and nobody being able to handle it at all <laughs> you know people riffing us off and you know bands normally you know they can survive that stuff of being taken for a total right. ride uh, we just didn't that was all but what creatively it was brilliant it didn't matter at all you know because we just right, and I I don't care about the other stuff because I know that that Pelican West is a brilliant record. So that's that. It, that can never be taken away. That's why I have great memories of that time. And anyway, the the other stuff just right. fades into the background and becomes meaningless drivel compared to the creative times and all the good times that you had. That the Pelican West goes platinum. It has three huge hits on it. Transition must have been would have been tough for any band to, to accommodate. Yeah, yeah, especially as it wasn't built for stardom, if you like. It wasn't built for that. It was, you know, it was like it was made to be almost. Um, I mean, some of it was like TV music, you know, like Lemon Fire Brigade and things, and with songs like Milk Film, just wanted to capture the, the innocence of driving down to the seaside in a Triumph Herald um, only because I'd seen pictures of, of my parents doing it in Humbers and things and standing outside of pubs 
with pipes and white shirts and cravats and listening to jazz and things. And this was the, the way that you could encapsulate that moment in, in the present. And 1980 and 81, things were still uh, 70s in, in their naivety. It was, it was a, a great, great period. Um, so it was just wanting to be a soundtrack, if you like, of, yeah. of that particular period. Uh, and it was a really innocent time. It was still naive. The, you know, it was ang angry during the late seventies, but it started to it started to fizzle out, and there was um, there was more kind of uh, there was more. There was more. I suppose it was just a bit more order around. I suppose it was developing into into the eighties, eighties, which became quite as quite some a beast. Um, Looking back on it now, look what what it developed into. So, I suppose we were put as part of that transition, really, when things were tidying up a little more. The the, the band has reunited a couple times over the years. Do you are those reunions that you still enjoy? Do you still look forward to to getting back together and performing with them? Um, yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed just meeting up with mates. Really, it's great. It's really good. You see where you are at the moment, and you go, oh. Is everybody all on the same page here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, sometimes it's been good, sometimes it's been tricky, and sometimes it's, you know, socially awkward sometimes and sometimes amazing, but always underneath it all. We just have this bond of being the guys that all stood together and experienced it together. So one thing is for sure that musically uh, it gels, like, beautifully, you know. You stand on stage. If you, if you, people can just get us to stand on stage, that which is a band, that magic happens, and all bands will tell you that. There's that thing that just happens, and and your stuff you've been through. I don't know how it happens with bands that have got so many changes where there's almost like no original members. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but we're all still alive, and and uh when the six get back together it's like a six cylinder engine it just you know we just got back and it's had four cylinders but four cylinder is more like a triumph herald or a morris minor compared to the kind of aston martin when it is the six cylinder stroke six engine it just goes like the clappers it's like whoa this is amazing and when you got full full brass like we brought to america it was just people were saying whoa you guys you're like What's the Tower of Power, Earth, Wind, and Fire brass section, along with this Beatles pop, and and it was getting it was it was the album was very nicely recorded, but the live shows were was louder and um, you know because Graham was basically a Clash fan, and you know I've been brought up on Montrose, so you know yeah we we loved Heck on Under and all, but it was developing into something a little bit more. <laughs> A little bit more. Your influence starts to they start to poke through after a while. I mean, mine have poked through a lot in the last, you know, since then, thirty years since then. You know, Montrose or even ACDC starts to poke through, or jazz starts to poke through more. That's interesting. I, I've all I, I've, I've listened to so much of your music over the decades, and I can honestly say, you know, I can I can hear influences here and there. But the the words ACDC have never crossed my mind. 
great, great songs, <clears throat> great, great riffs. Everything's great about them. Um, but yeah, ACDC was there. I mean, early Quo. Huh. I mean, just early Genesis. I mean, uh, these are like the these were the the classics that I was weaned on because I because I had a brother, an older brother that he was playing this stuff. So. It was like you know walking past a magical emporium when you went past his bedroom. You know you heard, you know I know what it's like in your wardrobe. But Genesis coming out, and you just go, what's going on in there? You know that's like a beautiful toolbox. You know, and it's just it was sparkling almost. You could see the light shining through the cracks in the doors, and that's what music that's what music does. So and then I'd hear Argent, you oh, know, yeah. hold your head high and. And I'd hear Metal Guru, Metal Guru, and I'd think, what's a Metal Guru? Um, is it you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that? You know, and, and so you'd go to the record shop and you'd, I remember going to the record shop and thinking, I'm going to get music because, you know, your brother, my dad's into it, my mum's into it, my brother, and I'm going to be into it. So first thing I did was bought uh, Laughing Gnome by Bowie because I just thought, love i love that that's 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 great it's very sort of early um version but i just thought it sounded amazing so i got it home and i remember it was warped so i had to put um my brother had shown me that you can put a, a 10p coin on it and uh, it weighs it down with a bit of plasticine so right, you put that yeah. on it and it, it could play and then i bought gypsies tramps and thieves by share and then you start to buy other things, but you're still listening to your household and what they've got. And so mum's playing Carpenters. So you're hearing that, uh, but you're not, you're not thinking, oh, I'd love to <laughs> love to be in the Carpenters <laughs> or, or anything. Or I'd love to, you know, you're just thinking more like, and then hearing, I remember hearing Bohemian Rhapsody and and seeing the, the video for that and just, and buying Night of the Opera and, and hearing all those songs and then seeing them on TV and thinking, wow, they, they, they look like um, they're obviously from another planet. Those guys, they're space people. You, you actually might be right about that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, aren't we all? I mean, how do we know that we're not all just from a comet somewhere that came around in life? I mean, we're all life and life beings. And we're all from outer space, really. So... Everything's collided to bring this about. So we're all water beings and, and things, but also space dust. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. So nobody knows why we're here and what it's all about anyway. But when you're growing up and you're hearing music, I mean, that's why I can still, like this morning I woke up and there was a bird outside the window and it sounded like the, it's, it was raw music. It was, this was, this bird was singing this beautiful tune. And I don't know whether it's, a tune i don't know it could have been a mockingbird it could have copied another thing or take made it up itself who knows what it was was it a blackbird was it not i mean you know i'm hearing all these different tunes over here in, in tampa and you get used to the tunes in in the uk and you know you do hear a blackbird and it is it is paul mccartney he is singing outside your window because he's all over the place he's he's here there and everywhere he's up this scale and down here and he's yeah. Um, he's up here and that's why I'm sure it must be really tricky to be Paul McCartney at, 
you know, older because those melodies were just like a blackbird. They were just all up and down and all over the place. So, whereas Neil Diamond is just, yeah. you know, love on the rocks. You know, so, you know, he's more of a, he's a different bird. It's, he's more like a pelican probably. I mean, not that I know they ever have a song, but, you know, he's, he's there, he's perched and he's, he's doing a, a thing. And um, I'd, I'd love to be more like uh, Neil Diamond because, you know, he can go into his older years just being love on the rocks and it's all in the same key. He was, he was genius at writing in that key. I'm sure he knew he was going to get older. <laughs> but, you know, some of those rockers, I mean, Robert Plant, I don't think ever thought he was going to get older, you know, because otherwise he wouldn't have gone right up there, would he? I got to ask you about your first solo album, uh, North of a Miracle. It it was um, recorded at Abbey Road uh, Studios and produced by the late Jeff Emmerich. Um, what was it like to work with him, Jeff? I mean, and how did you feel when you heard the news the other day? Really, really sad because I was... And kind of nearly in contact with him. Uh, I met somebody over in LA that knew him and gave me his email and I was plucking up the courage to kind of like, you know, cause I had this thing with, with, with people connected with the Beatles. It was so such a, I'm such a fan and it's so awe inspiring that, you know, it's hard to sort of work with them too. Or, you know, so I was plucking up the courage to, give him a ring and it was just going a month was going into another month and I was saying oh god you know it'd be great to just go over and see Jeff and maybe work with him and stuff and then and then he passed away and I was just like god I gotta speed up this stuff and even just you phone and call and say hello you know don't don't build it up into something just I wish I'd have just sent an email and said hello Jeff <laughs> you know because what, what happened is I was sitting on my sofa and I vivid had a vivid thought of Jeff, uh, and I thought I laughed out loud. I was like, remembered something. I remembered him laughing at this. He had this story about this 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 guy called Bits Dangling, and Jeff used to think this was hilarious. It was named after this doggy or something that had this bits dangling. Anyway, he used to tickle him, and it came into mind, and I was laughing out of the thought of Jeff. And I thought, I really have to. We had such a good laugh at. You know, but it was a serious time, North America. Jeff was it was serious, and I was serious, and at that particular time. And so, but I remembered his lightheartedness, and I think it was like a couple of hours later, I'd found out that he died. So I'd like to think that he, you know, when you press rewind on your life, because they say that when you pass, you go back. I'd like to think he waved at me on his way back, you know, to to the beginning. Um, because it waved as he went by because it was too much. Cause I, you know, uh, anyway, I, it was, you know, it was a bit, a bit, bit of, I'll take a deep breath there. Hold on. We're all going, we're all going there. We're all going there. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it was, it was sad to hear that he had a heart attack basically. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. If you have a heart attack, it's very sudden. And, you know, so, yeah, working with him was just un unreal, absolutely unreal, because he was, you know, and totally, this was this was the man that made Penny Lane. You know, he he was part of the team on Penny Lane, you know, he 
he would have heard Penny, you know, Paul coming in with Penny Lane. He would have heard Paul coming in with many songs. He was there when, when John Lennon sang Girl. He was, he was there when John did The Breath and Girl, you know, he was there. He was setting up the mic and doing this stuff and he was making paperback writer sound rocky. It was, this was the guy. And so you took, and I just used to remember him coming in every morning and playing brilliant piano before the session every time. And he just, you know, and I used to say, oh, Jeff, you've got to play on something. And, oh, no, no, because he was really humbled and he was really, really shy, really shy, uh, unassuming. And he would go, no, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't. No, no. But I got him to play on this song, Love at the Door. It was a B-side. And I got him to play this beautiful piano because he played classical piano. He was just amazing. Um, and everything that you recorded sounded cinematic because he was totally gifted at what he did. He knew how to do it. He, he knew sound. He knew how it worked. This was the guy that knew how it worked. You know, Penny Lane would have not sounded as magical as it did if these guys didn't know how to make this sound, you know, and I, w I wouldn't have it any other way, all those records, the re recordings. And, and I watched him do it. I watched him make that sound, you know, because I was such a big Imperial Bedroom fan at the time that so when I was working with him, Jeff had not long made Imperial Bedroom. So the album I was making, I knew would sound like Imperial Bedroom. So to watch it happen, I mean, he worked on the the right hand side of the desk. I mean, to record on the left, but he'd be mixing as he went. It didn't matter whether there was 66 piece orchestras on the song. He would be mixing on the eight track side of it on the right hand side of this enormous desk he'd be working on the little bit at the end and uh, his mix was literally just these eight tracks because that's what he was used to you know that's what he would have mixed penny lane on just moving all the drums so say a, a song like whistle down the wind he just did the two tracks of rhythm section <laughs> they'd already balanced as he went and then he would put in the 20 piece strings you know, and then, and so he would, that's it. And he'd just get the balance like that. And I'd watch him close his eyes and he'd plug it through these Fairchild limiters, which he had a stack of them. And that would be the mix. So it wasn't a big complicated thing. He'd been working this as he, as he went. And the sound was fast. It was enormous. I couldn't believe the sound. I mean, I hadn't sounded like that. I, this is how I wanted Haircut 100 to sound. That's why I tried to get the band into working with Jeff Emery. But they wanted to stay with, understandably, Bob and the loyalty. I totally got it, totally got that. And they didn't want to move on and do this thing. But, you know, I just, it was just, to, to, to listen to that sound and sounding that way, I just, I just thought, you know, wow. You know, I got there. And, and looking back on it now, I've never sounded as good since. It just haven't. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, <laughs> recording-wise, you know. Okay. <laughs> that sonically, haven't sounded like Whistle Down the Wind and, you know, that way. In 2017, last year, you put out Woodland Echoes, which 
I have to tell you, I I don't know that there's a record in the last two years I've listened to as much as that album. And wow, um, wow, thank you, the, thank you, thank you. I mean, that's amazing because that that's the different thing that was made in the spare room, <laughs> right? But I, but there's something about I like the themes, I like the tone, and I like the sound. I when I'm having a bad day or a stressful day, I. I queue up the video for the stars and I listen to that. And then I'll put on baby blue sky and I'm able to kind of relax and chill out. You, you must've been in a really good place in your life when you wrote those songs. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was mostly well, I, I began it in 2007. Um, I, I recorded forest of love on my son fixed him up with a mic and a computer and I, you know, got me the sound, left me with it, and so I recorded the guitar and the vocal. And I didn't think this was going to be an album. I didn't know what I was doing. I just made, I just put up a beat, and I did "Forest of Love," and I just had is all it was was a dun, 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 and you know, and I thought I'd never like a metronome in my head, and I thought, oh, that's that's nice because it's like a like a metronome, and I, I love writing to metronomes. And if I go in a music shop, like I go in. Sam and Ash locally, and I get on the keyboard there, and the 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 ordinary keyboards have got metronomes. You switch the metronome on, you can just start playing along to it. I love it. And so this had that. So, but to color that song in <clears throat> Forest of Love took the remaining, you know, the next decade <laughs> to color in, because then, and as as I was as that time was going on, my son was getting better and better at sound recording as well. And he's, he's got really good now. And, uh, and so that song was the beginning, but there's just going into either my own spare room or other people's like, uh, I'd recorded over in a spare room on a houseboat in Key West. That's what, another reason why I kind of, I think I'm here too, because meeting up with Ian Shaw, who I'd recorded lots of 90s uh, stuff like Kite and things with. So um, that was another, you know, and then it was mixed, and I, I haven't seen the room that uh, it was mixed in. But Chris Sheldon, I think, has got, like, a place in his garden. So I, I don't think it was a, I don't think it ever really saw a proper big studio, this album tall in any kind of way so that's but the the place i was in was definitely <clears throat> well if it was actually literally the spare room sometimes i'd be there and it was sunny and the outside would seep in and i was in a really good place with sarah my my you know my love so everything was kind of uh good it was a good good place there was no no kind of moaning going on lyrically at all you know there wasn't there wasn't that i mean you try and push yourself sometimes as a as a writer you you don't want to write first person you know i was always trying to not write first person um it just seemed to be slightly autobiographical this album it always comes from that first person angle um i wanted more observational songs on it but the observation in first person would be just you know, come from here about windows and looking out of them or beautiful mornings or mountain tops or <laughs> feeling absolutely amazed at the world because 
you know, even, even though, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't looking, watching the news and writing songs like that. Um, so it just seemed to be a happy time and a happy place. I understand you're working on a new album. Uh, what can you tell me about it? When I'm still pushing myself as an observational writer here, and I want to go deeper within and, and try. So hopefully that will make it onto the next album because I'd like it to be, because if this, this album was Sunshine, I'd like the moon to be more involved in this next one. Um, oh. Yeah, because the, the dark and light are good. They, they balance each other out, out really well. Um, and it's also the sad that takes you into the opposite because, and it's not, and I don't feel like happy is the opposite of sad. I feel like gratitude is the opposite of sad, you know, because um, when you're a depressed person, and I have been in my early years depressed, it's actually being grateful and thankful that is the opposite of that because you're anything but grateful and thankful if you're depressed. You're not thankful at all for anything you don't like what's around you you don't like your surroundings you don't like yourself you don't like anything so to feel that kind of thankful for just the small things around you like your shoes you like the hair on your legs the cup the anything because these are the things you hate if you're depressed so being grateful and thankful and appreciative of everything around you the, even just the, the small things because it, it's not the big things that you ever you're really thankful for because there's lots of people that have got really big things and great things in their life, but they're not not really thankful for them. They're not really happy sometimes. So uh, I felt like that's that's the place to be in, which was probably where Wooden Echoes was in. It was that being thankful and appreciative. But I'd, as a as a writer and observer with this new album, I'd like to just not repeat myself really. And but I can't go. I can't go back to moaning first person because <laughs> I'm just not in that place. You know, I'm not. What about touring? Any plans to now that you're in the states to get around and do some shows? Uh, I'd love to. It's it's not as easy as UK, and I have a. I don't have a band really here, <clears throat> and you know, touring as you know in the states with a band is expensive. I've done it. I did it once when right. I had some financial backing so as much as i'd love to do it i mean i would love to tour america with a band i would love you know if anybody was willing to give me thousands of pounds to do it i would i'd be <laughs> i'd do it i mean i went to japan and played and uh and that pay that pays for itself that's that's really good um it ends up if i could do that in america i would do it at the drop of a hat because you know, I, I toured in the UK. The band got really good. We toured in Japan, got really good, and I just thought oh, I'd love to do this in America. There's there's all these to retro tours now, the, like the Retro Future Tour, and then there's these '80s themed cruises, and there's mm. all these little mini tours where all the art, you know, artists that were big in that decade get together. Mm. I mean, is that something you you would consider? Well, I I did use that in the UK to fund my the recording of my album, so. I have done it, and you know, it's it's not good um, to do when you're when you're doing when you're doing it. You're really enjoying it. It's, it's like really good fun. But right. um, as an artist, it's, it's the opposite of David Byrne. You know, I don't know if you've right. seen David Byrne's show. 
But you know that's if he does not right. Yeah. He does not. You know, it's like have a connection yeah. to that anymore. But you know, I, I would I'd rather go into a venue with four people and in a loincloth and do an art show <laughs> installation. You know, and just like go that. Well, at least that's the four people that bang on. You know, it's like. But I mean, I you know, I nearly nearly did one. I nearly did one uh, last year. Well, it was it's sort of like was it in between Japan and and London and UK and did one here. But I don't know. I don't know. No, I, I don't know. It's uh, I did I did one in the in Los Angeles. That was really really good. Uh, it was with Adamant and uh, Boy George. And the romantics. I remember that show. And yeah. I love, I love the romant, I love the romantics tunes. And Brad Davis is what, a, what a fantastic drummer. Um, so that that was really good. And uh, I thought more would come of that, but you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't to be. And I'm I'm sort of semi reluctant. I mean, I don't know. There's there's one called uh, um, what is it called? It's called. Um, Lost Eighties, I think. Which, oh yeah, yeah, sure. I've I've seen it. It's like, you know, if you could just adjust the name a little bit on that one. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Found <laughs> Eighties, even you know, um, something a little bit more positive on that one, you know. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I I don't mind doing just the four tunes, and it's it's really good. But you know, it's. Uh, it, I don't know. It's 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 really good. It's really good, no, but it's, I gotcha. it's 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 not really good at the same time. It's you know. I mean, I I, I don't go to them, um, so I, sometimes I feel a bit like, well, why am I doing them if I wouldn't go to them? No, you just keep writing about the sun and the moon, and yeah. we'll keep listening. Somehow I get the money together to record, and I do it. And I I do it if you know if I needed to record the next album with full string section. I'd be doing it. So don't be surprised yeah. if I suddenly do it and then I got a string section on, on, on the album. Okay. You know, they are decisions I make based on creative decisions like that. Good. Well, I can't wait to hear the new album. Uh, and I hope we, we do get a chance to see you play a couple times live around Florida while you're here. Ah, I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah. Love to, love to. I, you know, I mean, I'm recording this, you know, working on the new album now and it's, I'm really, 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 really chuffed with it. It's really good. You know, I wrote a melter of a chorus the other day that I just, I've never written a chorus like it. It just went into this chord like, wow, you know, I, I got goosebumps when I, when I went into it and I just, and, uh, it's, it's one of those moments. And, uh, so I already went, God, this just has real strings. So I better get out there. <laughs> you better. <laughs> Did you say it's all Leaving for Minnesota The marriage is over Was it me or my heart? Please, my love There you go. There's our interview with Nick Hayward, probably the most positive guy I've talked to in a long time. That includes you, Brad. Any rising tide that can lift the Spearsy boat is okay in my book. <laughs> I just want to go hang out with him in Tampa Bay and like have like an obscene amount of tea 
mm-hmm. and listen to like the Grease soundtrack for half a day. <laughs> that's a that's an amazing bit of mental imagery, Steve. Spears. It will just it will act it out. Like there'll be like six of us there, and we'll act out every scene. Who's gonna get flicked you with know. the comb? Boing. <laughs> That'll be you, my friend. Yeah, I'm afraid so. I'm afraid so. This episode of Stuck in the 80s is brought to you by our new sponsor, Skylight Frame. Look, the holidays are just around the corner, and that means Katie and I are addressing stacks of cards, and we're trying to finish up our gift list. You know, it's always a challenge to shop for our mothers. They're at a place where they don't really need more stuff, and the, the things that they enjoy doing, you know, if you want to give them an experience, like you know, the symphony or going to monster truck rallies. You know, they buy those tickets themselves. <laughs> they don't need us for that. They've already taken care of it. So I was pretty excited when I heard about this new sponsor. This is going to fill a slot or two on our list. Let me tell you. Let me fill you in here. Skylight Frame is a photo frame that you update instantly with photos by email from anywhere. It takes less than 60 seconds to set it up. You plug it in, you use the touchscreen, connect it to your Wi-Fi network. And just like that, Everyone in the family can email photos using your personal Skylight email address. Boom! Pictures! And they show up as fast as an email does. The pictures just pop up on the frame. It looks like a standard black photo frame, but instead of a boring picture, it has a 10-inch matte finish touchscreen, which you can use to swipe through photos and configure the device. And if you're giving one as a gift, you can preload some photos onto it so it's ready to just you plug it in and there are the pictures so you can amaze people right away. When my kids were little, I would do a custom photo book of pictures of them from the year every year for Katie's and my mom, and actually would do one for us too. But now that they're in college, I don't get as many pictures, and most of them (coughs) (coughs) aren't really cleared for grandma viewing. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, and I know I'm not alone on this too. I've really pulled back on social media. I used to use, you know, Facebook and Instagram to keep grandmas and everyone kind of up to date on what's going on. I just don't post that much stuff there anymore. This frame gives me an easy way to share photos with the relatives and it lets me outsource all that updating to everyone in the family. So when my kids send me a great picture, I can say, that's a great picture. Email it to your grandmother's frame and I'm done. So I'm pretty excited about this product. I should mention if you aren't happy with your skylight, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love it, all the money comes back. The frame goes away. It never happened. <laughs> and gentle listener, because you listen to Stuck in the 80s, yes, you get a special holiday offer. $10 off the purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter the code 80s. That's right. Get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame. Go to skylightframe.com and use the code 80s. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com, promo code 80S. You'll be doing us a favor, and you'll be looking like a rock star to all those people that want to see your pictures. You know what I'd like to see right about now? The The Seggies. Ah, the mystical refrain that is listener mailbag. By the way, speaking of mail, and uh, I love the idea of <laughs> the skylight frame, but in, in the glory days of stuck in the 80s, I would get certain emails sent to me that I would not want to appear in my skylight frame. Well, you have to be discerning <laughs> as to who you give that email address to, that's for sure. And I did oh, find out. Oh, my God. You can blacklist email addresses. Like if your Aunt Marge keeps sending you photos you don't want to see, just like, no, don't let Aunt Marge send me stuff. You know what always drives me crazy? 
the relatives who always want to take pictures of everyone sitting around the dinner table. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you can't see our faces. You can't see what's on our plates. It's just it's kind of like a roll call photo. It's very hard to get a you good know, picture in that situation. Right. I can't. There's nothing I hate more than sitting still for one of those kind of photos. So whoever started sending me those kind of photos, I would blacklist them from my skylight frame. <laughs> I think really, honestly, <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking the only time I remember having holiday meal pictures that were enjoyable were candids that were just taken across the table of like one side of the table, not the whole thing. It's just hard to get well, people in the, the frame, the like you say. Well, and the difference is too, like b- back in the 80s when you had a camera, you had like a, a point and click camera. You, you couldn't right. zoom and you, know, you, can, you couldn't crop. I mean, you, you took the photo, you, you, you sent it away. Two days later, you got it back and there it is, you know, 10 people sitting around a table unfocused. You know, you can't even tell what holiday it is. So Yeah. But I, I do like the idea of the skylight frame, and I, I'm going to get one, and maybe we'll make the uh, maybe it can be, it can be kind of fun, like make the uh, like a stuck in the '80s at oh skylightframe.com address. That sounds let's just blisters. terrifying, <laughs> <laughs> but fun. But like, but if it was at my place, if it was here at the lair, it'd be safe. Like people could send in anything, and like <clears throat> only Cat Benatar would be shocked. You know? Yeah. I think it's a good idea, and if I can save ten bucks, I think I'm going to do it. I don't know. That's that's an interesting <laughs> idea. I, I think I might do that. I, that's not the Seggy idea I had in mind. So what we can call that that Seggy if we decide to do it is picks or it didn't happen. Ooh, very good. Yeah, very okay. good. You're on your game tonight. Okay, so anyway, we we actually did start a real Seggy here. So in the grand tradition of, st- of the holidays, we had some leftovers. And I believe, uh, according to Brad, we had some uh, Thanksgiving leftovers. So we had a letter left over from uh, Thanksgiving. We sure did. We couldn't possibly read all that content in one show. So we carried it over. <laughs> yeah. So much content. That's what people say about stuck in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the the email this week, which which I have read and have cleared... Uh, unlike the skylight frame photos, which I will just say, bring it on, baby. Bob in Silicon Valley sent us a letter. Brad, I'm spent after talking to to my, my BFF, Nick, so why don't you take over? Okay, here we go. Hi, Stephen Brad. I just finished listening to your Thanksgiving podcast, driving back from visiting my son. I was really moved by the last segment and just how genuine you all are. He bought it, Steve. I met you, Stephen Brad, on the first 80s cruise and have been a mostly silent fan ever since. Dare I say, I'm almost starstruck by you guys. I know, Brad. Make better choices. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Bob, I got a 12-step program for you. Give me a call. Anyway, he continues. I just wanted to say how much I really appreciate the work you do for the podcast. Before I found you, I thought I was the only one left stuck in the 80s. I listened to 80s music almost exclusively. First Wave, 80s on 8, my CD collection, and Apple Music. My hairstyle hasn't changed since 1984. Well, that's a commitment right wow. there. Wow. Yeah, and, I like that. Yeah. And Better Off Dead and Princess Bride are my go-to movies. Whenever I meet someone who hasn't seen Better Off Dead, I insist they either watch it with me or borrow my DVD. It's a real shame that John Cusack doesn't realize what a treasure that movie is. Yeah. So I know it's selfish of me, but I sure hope you guys continue to do this for the foreseeable future. I'll continue to buy t-shirts and try to support your sponsors and would happily make a cash donation if if that was possible and appropriate. Hmm. Michelle and I are excited to be going back to the (laughs) 80s with you next March. It's officially our junior year since we missed the 2017 cruise. Best regards, Bob and Silicon Valley. Wow. How fun is that? That's nice. Yeah, so the 2019 cruise, Bob, hopefully you'll catch 
Brad and I will be doing the 500th podcast of Stuck in the 80s live on the ship. I think we've said that before. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that. How long have you had your current haircut, hairstyle, whatever you want to call it, Steve? Uh, more or less. I, I mean, I mean, more or less for the last 20 years or so. Yeah, I, that's, I'm, I, just, I'm I just keep it short. Like 20 to 25 year range, yeah. But we're going to do the 500th episode of the podcast on the ship. And if all, should we even say what it's going to be? I mean, I, no. I hate to jinx it. No, let it, let it ride a little bit. Let it ride. Yeah. I mean, I, I really don't want to say what it is until it's like, you know, in the bag, as we say. Rush. In the bag. Is that what we say? Oh, we just did. So we <laughs> must say it. Hey, so here's the idea before we go any further, because otherwise I'll forget it. So this is the 488th episode, not counting special episodes. And for the largest part of that time, we've had the same seggies. There's been this recent uh, resurgence in the demand that we resuscitate, for lack of a better term, the what makes Spearsy cry seggy. But that yeah, seems a little... It's too easy. It's low-hanging fruit. I mean, we're better than that. <laughs> we can every, be better than everything. that. It's <laughs> everything. So I had this idea that I kind of got launched because I have... I have this little pod of coworkers at Disney and we have our own little chat room. Even though we sit right next to each other and we could just chat with each other openly. Like actually speak. Yeah. Why would we do that? When we have Yeah, when you have IM, you can just type. Yeah. So we slack each other and we talk about, you know, work issues of course, mostly, ninety percent of the time. But the other ninety five percent of the time, personal stuff. And one of the things they've started asking me is they, they want me to start sharing my um my online dating matches that I get every day from OKCupid. Okay, nice. Because <laughs> they, they just they just think it's funny. And so so I started like every day like OKCupid sends me a, here's your matches of the day, and I'll pick the funniest one and send it to them. And then they, div- they get to decide whether or not I actually contact that person or not. Oh, my gosh. Wow. They've yet to actually find anybody that's worth contacting. But I thought it might be fun if we opened it up to Stuck in the 80s Nation and said – like maybe every show or every other show, whatever, I'll give you a, like two profiles. <laughs> I mean, I'll just. So it's like the Spearsy dating where you give us like a couple of hits from the profile and then people yeah. vote. I'm either going to vote. You're either going to vote for the uh, the blue haired girl who lives. Contestant number one <laughs> collects geodes. And- yeah. I'm telling you, they're pretty fun to, to read. And of course, I will guard the privacy of the people concerned. You know, I'm not going to give you their. I don't even know their full names, so it's not like I can give you their full names. Yeah, but it might be fun. So if you, th- I, you know what, I love this idea because it gives me a glimpse into online dating. The last time I went on a first date with somebody was in 1992. Wow. So there's things have changed a little bit since then. Just a little. Yeah. So that's the only yeah. way. It'll be fun, you know, and and we'll we'll, we'll think about it. But we want you to vote. So like. Write us if you think it's a good idea. Write us if you think it's a bad idea. Uh, and, and we will respect yeah. your decision. Are we being crass? It's yeah, certainly it's possible. Too <sighs> self-indulgent, too navel-gazing, too too much about me. God knows I hate that. I do. <laughs> and Brad knows that's Actually, true. Actually, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Steve, in addition to being the karate man, is also uh, not unlike uh, the guy in Weird Science who hates compliments. You know I hate compliments. <laughs> you told me you were combing your hair. Anyway. 
Email us at podcast at sit80s.com and let us know what you think. And if you, hey, if you have a great name for the segment, that's extra bonus. I'll find some swag for you, my friend. Yikes. What's happening, hot stuff? Uh, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for a mystery movie moment. We will play a segment of a movie, and clearly my communication skills are starting to fail me. But uh, Fading. We've done this segment enough times where you know the drill. So pay attention. Here's the clip from our last show. Suppose you're thinking about a plate of shrimp. Suddenly somebody will say, like, plate or shrimp or plate of shrimp. Out of the blue. No explanation. No point in looking for one either. It's all part of a cosmic unconsciousness. That's Repo Man. And I know we've done this movie before, but there's about 5,000 lines that are quotable from Repo Man. You can always go back to the well for Repo Man. Right. And I was just in the mood for a plate of shrimp. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd rather go get sushi and not pay. I know. That's your go-to. Please, Brad, <laughs> read some winners. Winners include Brock in North Dakota, Tim and Toadsuck, Tom Meyer, Jesse Elgato Grande Smith, Kelly Ian Chris Joy in Huntsville, Anonymous Dave. Brett from Melbourne, Australia, Tom Corn, Rush Crest, Space Note, Dave Estel, Moldy Girl from Phoenix. Wait, what? Moldy what? Girl. Moldy I, we girl. need to get you a better. We need to get you a. We need to get you a fresh nickname, <laughs> yeah. Moldy Girl. I want the story behind that. Though. Reach out. We'll punch that up a little bit. Wait a minute. Anyway, Mo- Moldy, on. Moldy Girl, do not send a photo to my Skylight Frame address when I have one. <laughs> I mean, are you like uh, collecting spores, molds, and fungi? Like, what's the anyway, because we'll, print is we'll dead? Talk. Could be, could be. I'm sorry, we digress. Continuing, additional winners also include Kevin Serving Wench, Dave Cidio, Joseph Siski, Shazam, Del Saint Louis, Lou Sweet Lou Grilly, John Clexton, Anfield Albert, and are you sitting down? Here's a name you haven't heard in a while: Chase Squires. Chase Squires. That guy owes me money. <laughs> yes, Chase Squires from the distant past. Chase writes, a coworker of mine and I talk about something we call magnet theory. You mention something or think of something you haven't thought of in a while, and right after it comes back at you from someone else. Like, suppose you're thinking about a plate of shrimp. Suddenly someone will say, like, plate or shrimp or plate of shrimp out of the blue. So about a week ago, a friend I hadn't heard from in more than a year sends me an email. She mentions her daughter got a job working for a bank called PurePoint Financial. It's a small online bank with good savings interest rates. It also happens to be a bank I use, and she would have no idea about that. Then the very next email I get in that account, no lie, the very next email is my PurePoint monthly statement. Weird, right? So it gets me thinking about magnet theory because that's how my mind works. Then later in the day, I listen to your podcast with the clip from Young Guns, and I'm thinking, geez, that sounds like the guy with the magnet theory from Repo Man. That's actor Tracy Walter as Miller, who's not in the first Young Gun, so I'm obviously wrong. But he is the guy who tells Emilio Estevez and Repo Man about his version of the magnet theory. And that's the clip used in this week's mystery movie clip, which is weird. And, oh, by the way, Emilio Estevez is in both Young Guns and Young Guns 2, which, wait for it, also features actor Tracy Walter. I'm having trouble keeping up with this, yeah. but I know it's, it's a flow chart. cosmic stuff. Flow chart right? is online. Uh, yeah. I, I need to see it. Chase continues. I know. No explanation. No point in looking for one either. It's all part of the cosmic unconsciousness. And remember, the more you drive, the less intelligent you are, which means I'm in deep shit. <laughs> <laughs> the life of Chase Squires is always intense. 
It God. is intense. He's a bad man. I miss Chase. Oh my God. We when he used to work with me at the St. Pete Times back when it was the St. Pete Times. Yeah. Oh, we, we we just had so much fun. He used to have a, a TV blog and he used to to draw these cartoons for it. Like these really like stick figure cartoons that were still brilliant in their simplicity. Oh yeah. Oh, nice. Man, those were and then we did um the day or the week that he left. We recorded an episode on Miami Vice, and it's one of the better. It's probably one of the best. It's a good episode. Yeah, it's one of the best episodes of the first couple of years of Stuck in the Eighties. Everything kind of came together. It was a lot of content, but also a lot of humor. And I miss him. I haven't seen him since Las Vegas. Since what? It's been what six years, seven years. That was a eight long years? time ago. Yeah. Wow. Uh, more than six. More like seven or eight. I was starting to think we should. Probably- you and I have been podcasting together for six, God. which is shocking. I'd love to start doing those Vegas trips again, but I don't. I don't know if, uh, if all the wives would agree with that. <laughs> well, not mine, obviously. But no, we just need to. We need to. We need to find the right lever. Yeah, the right concert. We'll make it happen. Yeah. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. Why don't you just play quarterback, Jermaine? I ain't seen you do no end zone dancing, Marvell. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com, and tune in next time to find out if you're a winner. Ah, uh, the mystical refrain that is named that 80s tune. The original Seggy. Numero uno. Oh, gee. Speaking of which, I could use drink number trace right now at this point. But I don't have time for that. You know me, I make my drinks a little strong. A little, little strong. But uh, anyway. I know you like your drinks a little bit stronger. I just want to drink that drink tonight. It's Thursday night. Thursday! That's when we're recording. You're hearing it on... Sunday, I presume, but uh, Thursday night was a fun night in the lair. It's Thirsty Thursday. You know the drill here. We play a snippet of a song from the 80s, and you get it right. You're into the drawing for a uh, bottle opener. Pay attention. Here's, uh, here's the tune from last week. That's Save It For Later by the English people. Man, I cannot wait to see them on the cruise. I know. It's going to be fun. English Beat and OMD and The Fix. Those are my top three priorities on the cruise. Brad, why don't you read the winners? Okay. Winners this week include Kelly E. and Chris Joy in Huntsville, Rick Parker, Dr. Dim, Buck, Beat Poet Jeff, Face Note, Donnie Metal Rhymes with Gettle, Scott from Minnesota, Dave Estel. Moldy girl from Phoenix. Mm, we're still. We need to talk about that. So very, very moldy. Kevin Pipe Wench, Rob Bullock, Dave Cidio, Shazam, Del Saint Louis, Lou, Sweet Lou, Grilly, Rock the Good Egg, Karen in Singapore, who by the way promised to not win anything because she says it's really expensive to mail things to Singapore. Wow. Buckeye Girl, Marlene in G Town, John Clexton, and Andrew Holler in Cincinnati. Brad, why don't you spin the wheel and find out who won the swag? Here we go. (laughs) 
And looks like the winner is going to be Tom Corn. Excellent. Send us a uh, postal mm-hmm. address here in the U.S. and we will get some swag out to you soon. So pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us at podcast at SATAs.com and tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. In the meantime, this show has gone on long enough. I'm shocked, shocked to find gambling in this establishment. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Nick Hayward. Please, for the love of God, check. I'm telling you, it's, it's Money in the Bank. Woodland Echoes is an amazing album from him in 2017. It really is good. Go to Spotify, go to YouTube, check out the videos, especially for the stars. It's all shot on his iPhone here in Tampa Bay. Amazing stuff. Great musician. Fantastic conversation. Let us know about the Seggies for the dating. Get some holiday shopping done. Remember, we've got a store that you can buy Stuck in Ease gear at. It's at sit80s.com slash store. Couldn't be easy to remember. In the meantime, Brad and I, Nick Hayward, he's not Stuck in 80s, but we certainly are. the secrets of the universe. the secrets of the Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app. The